We're going to look this morning at Genesis chapter 22. So if you'll turn there, I think it's on page 19 in the Pew Bible. If you don't have a copy of God's Word, Genesis 22. I don't know if you're like me, but sometimes I wish the Bible was a, a movie, you know, like a feature-length film or, or, or even an episode or a series of episodes where we could just unpack it. We would sit back, uh, watch what is transpiring. We could see the narrative unfolding there, and uh, we would just sit there passively or maybe it would be a little more animated. But that's not the way that God has meant it to be. He's revealed himself. I mean, it's a shame. You know, we have to come and we have to open this ancient text and we have to have someone uh, speak and explain God's word. Why can't it just be a movie? But God has revealed himself in this written text. And though it is ancient for us, it is still very relevant. And so we have this gift as God's self-revelation to us. So we're going to give attention uh, this morning to Genesis 22. And this is probably one of the most puzzling stories. In this account here, what we read and what we encounter is sometimes it's very infuriating. It's very puzzling. It's very powerful what happens here in the life of Abraham, a man full of faith that God calls to do something. Follow with me if you would. Hear this. This is the word of God. Beginning in verse 1, sometime later, God tested Abraham. He said to him, Abraham... Here I am, he replied. Then God said, Abraham, take your son, your only son, whom you love, Isaac, and go to the region of Moriah and sacrifice him there as a burnt offering on a mountain I will show you. Early the next morning, Abraham got up and loaded his donkey. He took with him two of his servants and his son Isaac. When he had cut enough wood for the burnt offering, he set out for the place God had told him about. On the third day, Abraham looked up and saw the place in the distance. And he said to his servants, You stay here with the donkey while I and the boy go over there. We will worship and then we will come back to you. Abraham took the wood for the burnt offering and placed it on his son Isaac. And he himself carried the fire and the knife. As the two of them went on together, Isaac spoke up and said to his father, Abraham, Father? Yes, my son, Abraham replied. Well, the fire and the wood are here, Isaac said. But, but where is the lamb for the burnt offering? And Abraham answered, God himself will provide the lamb for the burnt offering, my son. And the two of them went on together. Now, let me pause there. We're going to continue on all the way to verse 19. But just put your finger there, if you would, at verse 9. Now, I think that this for us even though it is just a written text to us. You know, I, mean, I don't know if you've seen this, this has happened to you before. You, you know, when, when, when we watch uh, a movie that's on a, on based on a book, have you had this happen? Yeah, I, recently I saw a bumper sticker that said, don't judge a book by its movie. You know? And what are they trying to say? Maybe you've had this, this happen. You read a book and then you watch the movie rendition of it and you're disappointed. I mean, even if it's a, a full-length trilogy with all of the 3D and special effects, you're still sometimes disappointed because you're saying, you know, that's not exactly how I imagined it would be. And even when this is, for us, as we imagine what took place here, I want to encourage you this morning that the weight of it, the beauty of it, the challenge to us is the fact of two things. One is this happened in space and time. In history, this happened. The weight of reality, this took place. And the second thing is the Holy Spirit who can illuminate it 
to us and bring it to bear in our lives. So I'm going to pray towards that end right now before we continue. Father, we ask that you would send Holy Spirit, even as we're about to discover what unfolds. Some of us have imagined what it would look like. Lord, we don't know, but Holy Spirit, bring clarity, bring vitality to our hearts and minds that we might be able to understand and apply your word today. That it would be for us food for our soul And it would challenge us to be conformed more and more into the image of Jesus Christ. For we pray in his name with great boldness. Amen. Let's continue in verse 9. One day, this is Abraham and Isaac. When they reached the place that God had told them about, Abraham built an altar there and arranged the wood on it. He bound his son Isaac and laid him on the altar on top of the wood Then he reached out his hand and took the knife to slay his son. But the angel of the Lord called out to him from heaven, Abraham, Abraham. Here I am, he replied. Do not lay a hand on the boy, he said. Do not do anything to him. Now I know that you fear God because you have not withheld from me your son, your only son. Abraham looked up and there in a thicket he saw a ram caught by its its horns. He went over and took the ram and sacrificed it as a burnt offering instead of his son. So Abraham called the place the Lord will provide. And to this day it is said, on the mountain of the Lord it will be provided. The angel of the Lord called to Abraham from heaven a second time and said, I swear by myself, declares the Lord, that because you have done this and have not withheld your son, your only son, I will surely bless you and make your descendants as numerous as the stars in the sky and as the sand on the seashore. Your descendants will take possession of the cities of their enemies and through your offspring all nations on earth will be blessed because you have obeyed me. Then Abraham returned to his servants and they set off together for Beersheba and Abraham stayed in Beersheba. Now that was just a reiteration there at the end of the covenant promise. The covenant is a bond, a pledge that God had made. He made it with Abraham in Genesis 12. He reiterated again in chapter 15 and in chapter 17. And even here, you will be blessed and all of your descendants. I have a promise for you, a covenant that I'm making. And it shall be through your son Isaac. Now, now what we see here, notice there's a particular phrase there. The Lord will provide. That's the declaration that Abraham is making here. And I want it to be for us uh, basically an outline for us. I think there are three things. When Abraham says, the Lord will provide for himself, when his son asks him, don't worry, the Lord will provide for himself. I think that statement, the Lord will provide, is three things. And it's our outline this morning. The first thing I think it is, is a declaration of trust. The second thing is, it's an expression of hope. And then lastly, it's a prediction of the future. The Lord will provide. So first of all, I think it's a a declaration of trust on the part of Abraham here. The Lord will provide, he is saying. He's confident. Even that that phrase in Hebrew, the name Jehovah-Jireh, the Lord is my provider. Uh, You've probably sang a song or memorized something to that effect. It's even even better understood in the Hebrew to say that the Lord will see to it. Or Jehovah-Jireh, the Lord sees. The Lord will see to it. That's what Abraham is saying. Look, the Lord will see to it. He's called us to this. It just seems, well, can you imagine? The Lord places this on Abraham. I want you to go and and I want you to offer your son as a sacrifice. And it's going to be a three-day journey. A three-day journey, that must have been an eternity for him. Can you imagine traveling to this place? I haven't told you yet, but you'll know. 
I mean, all of the questions, all of the turmoil that he must have faced. Why? How? What's going to happen? What is this going to look like? Am I going to be able to, to step forward in obedience and do this? Can you imagine what he must have experienced all the way there? And I think it's interesting because there is a sense of confidence, though, even up to that very point when they reach the foot of the mountain or wherever. And what does it say in verse 5? He turns to the servants who had traveled with him. Look what he says there in verse 5. And he says to the servants, Stay here with the donkey while I and the boy go over there. We will worship and then we will come back to you. Did you catch that? Why, Why would he say that? Well, some have speculated it's because he didn't want the servants to overreact and call DSS and say, I think we've got a child abuse case on our hands. Uh, Others say, no, no, he must have said that. He must have said that because he didn't want Isaac to run. He didn't want to startle Isaac and said, don't worry, we'll be back. We're going to go over there. We, we will be back. No, I think it was a declaration of his trust, his faith, that God would provide somehow. So what do we find? They travel off. It was genuine trust. I think even as we see the, 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 the faith of Abraham, it must have been living in the life of his son as well. I mean, Isaac has yielded himself over to this in some measure. I mean, think of this. And, and I mean, honestly, I mean, a man who's over 100 years old, he'd been waiting for dozens, plural, years for the Lord to provide through his wife, Sarah, a son. And now this son is presumably, I mean, he... He's probably in his teens or older at this particular juncture. I mean, most teenagers are faster than a man over 100 years old. I mean, he could have run. I mean, there must have been a yielding. There must have been a trust that was, was carried on in the life of, of Isaac for his father and for the Lord God. Nevertheless, Abraham does bind him. He sets him there. Now, I think the second thing, when he says the Lord will provide, I think the second thing here is that it's an expression of hope on the part of Abraham. The the narrator for us, as we read through this portion of God's word, is Moses. Moses is chronicling these things for the benefit of God's people, Israel, and, and for us as well. And though he knows, and they know, the original audience, and we know that this is just a test on the life of Abraham, Abraham doesn't know that. Abraham has to journey on, and And do as God had told him. He's stepping out with boldness and with great faith. And this is a real test for what God had called him to. And it wasn't too dissimilar from the fact that God had called him back in Genesis 12. Look, I want you to leave the place that you were so familiar with, your family and your land. And go back and read this. Read of the life of Abram in Genesis 12 and what he does and how it transpires. I encourage you. And, and he steps out on faith, not knowing where God would lead him. And he leaves all that is familiar to him and he trusts him. Now, the stakes, of course, at this particular juncture are a bit higher. It's his son. It's his son that I want you to turn over and trust me with. Now, I would suspect that Abraham didn't say anything about this to Sarah. I mean, my wife won't even let me take our two boys to the top of the ski mountain without permission. Uh, so I asked for forgiveness. But you know how it is. I mean, can you imagine? I mean, we're going to take, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to take Isaac on this journey. Why, why, are you taking, why are you taking the implements for a burnt offering? I don't suspect he maybe disclosed this to her. But in his heart and in his mind, 
He's confident that the Lord will provide. Now, when I say that, and, and, and when, we, when we consider the text, I don't think it's because Abraham was there, burnt offering is in place, Isaac is on the altar, and he's raised his knife, and it would have been the custom in the ancient Near Eastern world to slit the throat of the sacrifice first. I, I don't think that he's raising the knife with, with one eye open saying, okay, Lord, I'm sure you're not going to have me go through with this. What, what's the plan here? No, he's fully prepared. In the fear of the Lord and in faith to carry... Do you believe me? Do you believe this is what happened? This is... This is... This is, this is very counterintuitive. This, this strikes at us. This is very strange, but I believe that his faith. And if you don't believe me, why don't you turn? In, in, the, in the latter part of, of the New Testament, in Hebrews 11. Why don't you turn there? Hebrews chapter 11. Where do we find, what do we find there? The, the, the faith hall of fame. Hebrews chapter 11 describes for us something in the life of different saints of the Lord. I'm confident that as he stepped forward in faith, Hebrews 11, that there was something else, even beyond the circumstances, that God would have some kind of last-minute, last-ditch provision, that he was confident of something even greater, even deeper than this. This is very puzzling, but I do believe as he... Had this expression of hope, the Lord will provide. Hebrews 11, verse 17. By faith, Abraham, when he was tested, offered up Isaac. And he who had received the promise was in the act of offering up his only son, of whom it was said, through Isaac shall your offspring be named. He considered that God was able even to raise him from the dead, from which, figuratively speaking, he did receive him back. Does that make sense? He's so confident that even if he must carry through with, with this gut-wrenching sacrifice, that God would raise up his own son. This is his expression of faith. Surely there must have been a wrestling. So much was promised through Isaac. Why would I do this to Isaac? But nevertheless, he's confident that God has the power even of resurrection as he trusts and he hopes. He's not certain. He doesn't know the circumstance. He doesn't know how the Lord will provide. But he is saying, no, the Lord will provide. And my friends, if God calls you to things, has God called you? Has God called you to follow him? Yes. God has invited you. He has called you to follow him. And it will involve sacrifice. I hope that's not a newsflash. It will involve obedience and small and great things. God will call you to follow him by faith. And you will have to say, yes, indeed, the Lord will provide. And what in your life is it that you're building your hope and your confidence on when God calls you to step forward in big or in small things? Start with the small things. I don't know what that is for you in your particular circumstance, in your calling, in your vocation, but start with the small things. Even this week, I was listening to, to Pandora Radio, and I don't pay for it, so I have to listen to the commercials. And what does it say? It's a, it's a CarMax commercial. If you want a positive used car buying and selling experience, well, start. Start with CarMax. I mean, if you want to learn an instrument, it says start with an air guitar. You know, if you, if you want to teach a dog to sit, start with a lazy dog. If you want to live by faith, friends, if you want to live by faith, which will always involve some measure of obedience, start in the small things. Start in those small things. And even as God may prepare you, start there. Start anywhere in your daily decisions. 
and they very well may be a test from God. You may feel it comes in the form of a temptation. And let me, let me assure you, friends, there's a cosmic battle that's going on. And it's, it's much greater. It's, it's much greater than, than whatever you, you could imagine or I can imagine. And, and there, is, there is an enemy, and his name is Satan. And when he, te- when, he, when he tempts you, it will always be. It will always be for your destruction. But when God tests you in this life, as he's testing Abraham here at a great length, as he tests you in life, it's not for your destruction. It's for your growth. It's for your development in the Lord. It's, it is, is that you might be bolstered and you may be raised up. Are there things in your life? Friends, are there, are, are there, are there things in your life that God is asking you to let go of? Is there something, is there something in your life that God is asking you to let go of? Maybe it's, maybe it's something that's bad, you know, a bad habit, you know, a, a bad pattern in your life, something that you, you know to be intrinsically evil, that's shameful, dark, or, or regretful. It may, it may be something good, though. There, there may be something that God wants you to, you to let go of that, that you have begun to, to worship that's not him, that's part of the gift but not the, not the gift giver. You know, there are things in your life and in my life, it may be something good, it may be your career, it may be a relationship, it, 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 may, be, it may be good things, it may be, it may be sex, it, it may be activities, sports, hobbies, or something that you've taken and you've made a good thing, a God thing, and now it's become a bad thing. That's called idolatry. Does that make sense? Are you tracking with me? We could take a good thing, the good gifts of God, and if we make them an ultimate thing, a thing of our identity, our worship, our meaning, our purpose, it's idolatry and therefore it's a bad thing. And there may be things that God, in your conscience and in studying his word and being around good counsel that says, you need to let go of that thing that you hold so dearly. I'm not saying cut it out, but cut it out of your life necessarily, but to let go of it, not hold it so tightly and trust God with these things. What is your God in your life right now? Well, God's God for me. Really? You don't want to know who God is in your life? And I'm, I'm speaking to myself here. And I, I, my heart is just as prone to worship things of the creation and not the creator. Do you want to know what God is in your life right now? At any particular snippet and point, what is God in your life? God in your life right now is your non-negotiable. What is your non-negotiable in your life? I will be happy. I can be at peace just as long as I have blank. Just as long as I have my weekends, just as long as I have my job, just as I can be at peace, just as long as I have this relationship, just as long as my, my, just as, long as my world is neat, tidy, organized, and convenient, I, I can be at peace. I can be happy. Fill in the blank, friends. What is your non-negotiable? Just as long as I can have the approval of this person, just as long as I can have my health. God, don't take away my health. Who are you banking on to provide? What are you reaching out for? Dear Martin Lloyd-Jones, who was a great British preacher, writer, early in his career, this is before he was a follower. He was not yet a follower of Christ. He would have, de- he would have described himself as religiously indifferent. And he was a physician in London. And he worked at the most prestigious hospital. And he worked uh, closely with the chief of medicine, the most prestigious uh, post in all of the hospital, and he was working there, and he was early in his career, and, it, and his future was bright. 
And, and he was around people. Who were, and one of them in particular, who was the chief of medicine, had a tremendous, you know, what, what promise? I mean, he had reached the height of, of, of social acceptance and uh, his career advancement. All of his ambitions were basically met. I mean, this, this guy had it made. And, and news came that his girlfriend, this is not Lloyd-Jones, but the guy that he was working closely with, the chief of medicine, news came that his girlfriend, he was very close and intimate with, had died. And Lloyd-Jones says that the man came to his office that day, or maybe it was that week, and he said, look, can I, can I just come in and, and sit by your fire? And in, in his study, in, in his lab there, he went over to Lloyd-Jones' study, and the, and the man sat there, Lloyd-Jones says, for two hours. He just sat there and just stared at the fire. Not, not saying a single word. And, and Lloyd-Jones said that at this particular juncture, something about that event struck him to the very core. It, there was nothing inappropriate about that. I mean, the man was, was stricken with grief. And he, 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 was, he, was, he was mourning. But something stood out to him in that moment. And in Lloyd-Jones' own words, he says, That event had a profound effect on me. I saw the vanity of all human greatness. Here was a tragedy, a man without any hope at all. And he goes on to say that the foundations of, of our very security and joy in this life are, are radically fragile. Aren't they? That, that even, even the things that we hold so dearly in life, we're, we're, they're vulnerable to loss. His whole life was changed and he began to build a foundation, Lloyd-Jones did, on God, the only true, sure thing. The call is going to come, my friends. The call is going to come. All the things in this life will fade, some more rapidly than others. And all of them will be taken out of our hands. Why not go ahead and open your hands and say, it's all right, Lord, I trust you. The Lord will provide. The Lord will provide. Think of it in all of the realms of your life and, and your trials and your temptations. Maybe, maybe you're a teenager and you feel invincible this particular season of life. I was there once too. But, but friends, listen, whatever it may be for you, However long you've lived in whatever seasons or trials that you've faced in those temptations, I, I thought of some of these, these instances that if God calls you to let go, can you say, yes, the Lord indeed will provide. But sometimes we say in our trials, no, I can't let go of this bitterness. It's, it's just too sweet. And if I don't, well, then who's going to bring justice? Or maybe you're saying, no, no, I can't let go of this career even though it tempts me and puts me in compromised ethical dilemmas because I need the money. And who will provide for me financially? No, I, I can't let go and apologize to those people because if someone found out, well, then everyone's going to take advantage of me. No, Lord. No, I, I can't let go of this relationship, even, even though I know at times it doesn't honor you because who's going to love me? I'm going to end up lonely. Abraham didn't say this. Abraham is not walking by sight. He's walking and living by faith. No, the Lord, the Lord will provide. He will see to it. 
which I think at last is a prediction, not just an expression of his hope, not just a declaration of his trust, but I think for him to say at this particular point, the Lord will provide. And what's transpiring here is actually a prediction of of what's going to take place because what's being advocated here in Genesis 22, my friends, is not child sacrifice. No, it's a prediction. It's It's a foreshadowing of a much greater sacrifice that is going to happen in God's redemptive plan. So lastly, the Lord will provide a prediction of the future. Friends, Abraham failed many tests, okay? Miserably failed many tests. It's embarrassing. You feel the shame for him. If you go read Genesis 12 through 22, heavens. I mean, how, what was he thinking? What was he not thinking? He failed many tests along the way, not living by faith. But this, this particular juncture is not one of them. You know why? Because I believe he's looking forward to the promise, He's looking forward to the promise of an an anointed Messiah who the Lord God would provide. And, you know, Jesus is the one who brings clarity to this because in John chapter 8, Jesus is having this discussion and the, the skeptics are there. And this is what Jesus says to them, the followers, the descendants of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. He says to them in John 8, your father Abraham rejoiced that he would see my day. He saw it and it was glad and he was glad. And then he goes on to say, this is, this is ludicrous. This is so bold. But Jesus says, before he was, Abraham, I am. I, I'm even greater than the father of your faith. And he was looking forward to my day. He was looking forward. He was looking forward to a lamb that would be, he would be a sacrifice, a covering, a, a, a penalty paid. And covered over for the failure, for the inconsistency, for the covenant breaking, for the idolatry of you and of me. He's looking forward to the great sacrificial lamb. And God, we we failed the covenant. We need a substitute, friends. Brothers and sisters, if you're living in repentance and faith, there is a substitute that can cover over your sin and mine. God confirms the prediction, the prophetic foreshadowing of this provision by returning again and again to his covenant promise. He confirms it here in our text this morning in verse 15. He says, yes, the blessing will be there. And who does he swear by? No one else to swear by but himself. The Lord God swears by this. It's unilateral. In other words, when God makes a covenant, it's not conditional. Hey, if you do this, then I can do this over here. Look, God is going to provide. God is going to provide a Savior. God will fulfill his end even when we fail the terms of the covenant. And he goes and he takes to a place where the foreshadowing here is, 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 is quite important because what do we see? He wants them to take him to a mount uh, near Moriah in, in, those, in that region. This is pre-Jerusalem. In the same hills surrounding Jerusalem. Well, guess what? Like Isaac, Jesus submitted to the will of the Father. He ascended to a mountain. He ascended to a place where he would be laid on some wood. It's Calvary. And now, now we have not just an innocent lamb, but we have a perfect, spotless lamb to be that sacrifice. He was foreshadowed, he was promised, and he was anticipated greatly all along the way in the life of God's people Israel, all the way back to the time of Abraham. What do we find later in the Passover? There was a lamb. There was a lamb that would be for them a reminder of of God passing over them. 
King David asked the question, who indeed is the lamb? The prophets, Isaiah, where is the lamb, he asked. Zechariah, where is the lamb? Later, Malachi writes, where is the lamb to take away our sins? 400 years of silence. Then, what do we find as we open up the gospel of John? Lo and behold, this great prophet, John the baptizer. What do we find? John 1, 29. He's baptizing people who are repentant. And what does he say? Behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. When does he say that? When looking in the mirror? No. When he's looking at Jesus coming on his way to be baptized. Behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. Some people missed it. Some people were confused. Some people are still confused. But we cannot, friends, Let's be reminded, we cannot fulfill the the terms of the covenant. We we cannot fulfill the law. It's not a bargaining. It's not going to be negotiated. We're not going to please God. We can't make God owe us. Even if you feel like you've made great sacrifice, even if you feel like you have remarkable sincerity and devotion in whatever it is, your endeavor. Maybe you're on a campaign to... To to recycle all the time or to take care of pets or to feed homeless people. I mean, maybe these are all, whatever it is that you have endeavored to do. And friends, we cannot fulfill even our own requirements, even our own demands that we say for ourselves. I have goals and I'm not talking about high and lofty New Year's resolutions. Even if you set for yourself three simple rules of ethics in your life, you wouldn't live up to them. I wouldn't live up to them. We need a savior. We need a lamb. God has provided. The Lord, Abraham said it, and it's just as true as today. The Lord will provide for himself. I want us to see Jesus as beautiful. So friends, the Lord will provide. If God asks you, no, when, because it's when. When God asks you to surrender, to let go of something in your life. Oh, doubting heart, and I say this to myself. Please believe that only Jesus is worthy. Only, only he is worthy of, of just turning over, surrender, yielding, trust, clinging to him by faith. And, and, and even if he asks of you the most precious of things, be they small or be they great, may our unbelieving heart lay hold of this. Romans 8, and I close with this. What then shall we say of these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? He, Romans eight thirty two. He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all. How will he not also graciously, freely give us all things? Father, we ask that you would impress these truths, these realities deep into our hearts. I pray for people here today, myself so much included, that we would let go. We would be so confident that when you call us to step out in faith, and repentance and obedience that we would say to ourselves, I can't see it, I don't know, the circumstances aren't aligned, but the Lord will provide. We ask that you do this, not not for our self-improvement, not so that we could redeem our, our tattered reputation or win the favor of our relatives and friends. Lord, we don't want to be a better person. We want to glorify you. So work. For your good name and your good fame. I do pray you'd bless this whole congregation, Lord, as they seek to herald the gospel, to live it out. Would you empower them? Lord, please, would you multiply this congregation for your good purposes and your glory? 
Would you please, Lord, work in the leadership, work in the lives and the hearts and the priorities of people in this congregation. May they see Jesus as he really is. So beautiful. We praise you, Father, for giving your own son. Holy Spirit, apply these things to our lives. We ask through Jesus, our good shepherd, the final precious lamb of God. Amen.